Welcome to the Universal Dancer Podcast with your host, Leslie Zare, author of The Alchemy of Dance and The Alchemia Remedies, coming to you from Cairo, Egypt, the ancient land of Chem. Journey with us to explore sacred dance, the sacred arts, the mystical and the magical. Join a community of like-minded souls seeking to understand the cosmic dance of co-creation through the sacred arts. Come along and expand your mind, ignite your creativity, and explore something new and something old. Welcome, welcome to the Universal Dancer podcast, and I'm your host, Leslie Zare, and this is our third year, so um, I'm very excited to have a new group of guests, and so let's just jump right in, and let me introduce you to today's guest. Elina Kieft has danced from a young age, including rigorous classical and contemporary training to become a professional dancer and a myriad of other techniques. When she studied medical anthropology, she became fascinated by other ways of knowing, including embodied epistemologies and shamanic worldviews. This includes both ancient and contemporary cultural cosmologies, as well as deep immersion in natural and sacred sites and places such as caves and stone circles. During her PhD in dance, she looked at dance as a modality for empowerment, healing, and spirituality. Afterward, she worked at the Center for Dance Research at Coventry University, where she researched embodied healing techniques and the role of the soul. She is a long-term shamanic practitioner and an ongoing student of shamanic tools, stories, symbols, and dreams as healing modalities. She also trained and qualified in movement medicine, an approach for contemporary shamanic improvised dance. Her book, Dancing in the Muddy Temple, about body and nature-based spirituality, came out in 2022. This book retraces her search for the sacred through movement and nature immersion and the different techniques she incorporates in her body of work. Finally, Elina is a Qigong teacher and loves combining movement, breath, images of the natural world, health, and personal growth in this ancient movement practice based on Taoist philosophy. Let's welcome Elina to the show. Hi, Elina. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Leslie. It's really nice to be here with you. Thank you for the yes. invite. Thank you for being here. I really I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And it sounds like we have a lot in common, a lot of shared passion. So, <laughs> so let's just jump right in. I always like to begin uh, in your intro. It says that you began dancing from a young age. So how old, how old were you and, and what kind of dance were you doing? Well, I was only seven years old when my little legs found their way to the local ballet school. Um, so that's really what I did two times, three times a week. Um, and very quickly, my teacher said, hey, why don't you audition for the National Ballet Academy? So that was in Amsterdam. I'm Dutch. So the, the national school was in, in Amsterdam, the capital. And so from age 10, with a little break until almost 18, I really trained to become a professional dancer. First in classical ballet, and then I got 
I'm sorry to say a little bit bored with the rigidity of the technique. I had a little break at a normal uh, secondary school and then I finished my training at something that I can only compare to, to the kind of fame musical, like people who love to do music and dance and they train to become stage professionals. So that's where I finished my secondary education. And then I went on to, to the first year of the Dance Academy in Rotterdam. It's now called CodeArts. Um, and I really, that was a real shift for me because in all those years from little girl to young adult, I'd really enjoyed dancing uh, as, a, as a way to express myself. And all of a sudden when it shifted to the, to the pr proper professional training, um, I, I felt I disconnected from my, from my fellow students. It all of a sudden became only about um, appearance and how do you look on stage? And there was a lot of competition, a lot of jealousy, and my body really couldn't cope with that. So I, I'm with, with, with a challenge, I did finish the first year and then I decided to study uh, the anthropology of dance. So that was my way to still stay in touch with this world that I love so much. Uh, but that somehow I couldn't pull off in the way that was well available to me at the time. So, um, yeah, I, I think my deepest love always was dancing with people and not dancing for people. And it took a yes. long time for me to realize that and to find other ways of, of manifesting that. I think when it becomes performance, sometimes it loses its soul because, as you said, it it kind of, moves to the outside it moves more of as how it's perceived rather than than how it's felt i understand that i i was an ice skater and when i became a competitive mm -hmm. ice skater suddenly <laughs> everything changed and yeah and it became about winning and that really wasn't that wasn't it that was as i said for me it sort of lost its soul it lost the fun the magic whatever so what was yeah. the point where you kind of discovered it more as a as a sacred art or or more as spirituality? Was it at that point or did that kind of come later on? Yeah, to be honest, that came a little bit later because as a student, I stuck with the modalities that I knew, which were classical and contemporary dance. And then in my process of looking for my PhD topic, um, I went to Schumacher College in uh, Devon. And that was a three week intensive course um, where it was taught by an ecologist, a philosopher and a shaman. Wow. And on that course there, I think there were 25, 30 people participating from all over the world. And three people individually said to me, have you heard of the five rhythms? And I was very blue and I thought, no, I've never heard of the five rhythms. What's that? But something in my psyche happens when people, when, when you hear the message three yes. times, it's like, I have, I have three, to find out. Yes, the three rule. <laughs> so not long after that, I moved from Holland to uh, the UK to do my PhD. And there was just at the end of what was then called the Five Rhythm School Europe, I met Jakob and Susanna darling Kahn, and that was literally at the last three months of their body of work still being called Five Rhythms. And then they took on a different shape and they took off the Five Rhythm mantle and their work became known as movement medicine. So pretty much all my shamanic dance training has been with them and with that modality. 
uh, was a very rigorous uh, apprenticeship next to my PhD, in fact. So I felt like I did three apprenticeships in one. I trained shamanically with Jonathan Horwitz, who, who I'd met in um, Devon. Uh, the movement medicine apprenticeship and my academic PhD, which in a way is also an apprenticeship. <laughs> and so these three, they were really like moving and weaving alongside each other for well, between seven and 10 years, depending on when you start counting. So, um, yeah, I did qualify. I want to clarify that I did qualify as a fully qualified move medicine teacher, but I have recently moved away from the school as well. So what I offer now, I call conscious dance. But of course, it's very influenced by and I'm still very grateful to Jakob and Susanna for for their incredible body of work. I think it's important that we take all the things that we learn and we pass them through ourselves and see what it is that, that we create. I think um, I've said this to my own students, take, take that, but, but you have to make it your own in some way, because I think we can, we can get ideas or uh, tools or inspiration, but for it to be really authentic, I think it needs to come through us somehow we can we can be seeded by these other things but then it needs to it needs to be birthed in a form that is authentic for us as an individual so i think that's important and and that's what they did as well i i interviewed yakov mm -hmm. uh last season and he was talking about the five rhythms and then how it turned into movement medicine so i think that's kind of a natural progression to take something and then to yeah. to reform it into something that's more authentic to yourself so um yes and it combines the different life experiences as well and exactly. the different well the cultural backgrounds and maybe um, spiritual practices one has worked with um yeah so it is a process of individuation as well to kind of go like what is what is taking shape when I take the ingredients that have that have passed through me and what's cooking in the I don't know in the alchemical container yes. and in a way it's a very sensitive and vulnerable process as well and because of my time in academia I have um, I've had to distance my, uh, my vocally my connection to the spirit world and to the soul because there's a lot of academics who say ah what well, there's no such thing as soul <laughs> and if it is, it's, it's something religious and we're about science you know so for me that's also been a process we talked in the in the um preparation of the session about how we have moved a lot and how we lived in different places um how um the environments where we work also influence how we speak and what we dare to include, what we dare to step into, what we dare to show. Um, so it's actually only the last, well, maybe a year or so that I actually place my work firmly in the area of spirituality. For me, I, I can't ignore the soul. I can't ignore the spirit. Yes. But it's, it's scary and it's not naked in some way. Well, and I think, like you said, it, in academia, this is, I, I think it's becoming more accepted, but it's a difficult, mm. those are difficult worlds to bridge. And I hope they are coming together. And I think they are. There are a lot of change makers that um, 
that you know that are that are well known that are in academia and and I think that it is beginning to change. But let's talk about that a little bit. Tell it because you did research at Coventry University about embodied healing techniques and the role of the soul. So what was that? How did that how did that come together if if they didn't want you to talk about the soul? <laughs> yeah, there is like anthropology as discipline, it somehow sits between science and the humanities. So in that way, I've had a bit more leeway to talk about spirituality because that is what most people in most cultures do. So spirituality is always a part of anthropology, um, just like the, the healing system, just like the economic system. They, yeah. There are different ways into looking at a culture. Um, and at the same time, the tension was always, but you research another culture and you cannot step in, you cannot go native. That's literally the kind of jargon, because then you would leave, you would lose your objectivity. So that's been a real tension in my PhD research, because I understand the, the rigorousness of the methodology requires the, the, the researcher to distance him or herself from the material. But how can you do that when this language, it's the body speaking there. So there's different translations that are happening when dance is your research topic, if you like. And, and also when soul is your research topic. And in many ways, spirituality and the body have the same um, challenges in verbalizing the experience because it is the ungraspable. It's, it's very uh, intuitive and perceptive. It's like how you are feeling in your body right now is very different to how I'm feeling in my body. I don't really know, but I assume it is because you are a different person. It's a different time zone. You've eaten different things. Uh, you had a good night or a bad night, you know? So how do we speak about this unwordable part of our experience? But I think, this this is a big part of the problem because we learn so much from experience. So it's when you experience something that you truly know it. So I understand mm -hmm. wanting there to be objectivity in what you're looking at, but how can you fully know something if you've never experienced it? And I think that that, that comes into many topics and... Um, you know, in, in holistic medicine, you kind of have, uh, or the Greeks, physician heal thyself, that once you've mm. taken the healing journey, then you understand it, then you know what it is. But if you've never experienced it, then how can you, then you're always talking about something theoretical. And how do you even mm. know if that works, if you've really never had the experience? Mm. To me, experience is, is our greatest teacher. So I, I hope that that will be something that changes in academia is that we need to also have, which is kind of interesting because I studied at university, I studied biochemistry. And for any subject, you had like organic chemistry and then you have the lab because the lab mm -hmm. is where you go to actually test or do these processes yeah. that you're talking about. So 
it's obviously in academia that you do need to have experience or if somebody studies to be a doctor, they then have to be an intern in order to, to have the experience of working with people. So it's there, but um, yeah, I think uh, maybe not to get lost in the experience, but I do think experience is, is very important for us to actually know something. Yeah, and I think as, as scientific research methodology um, develops as well, um, we are moving. I mean, the, usually there used to be this big divide between the objective and the subjective. And then I think over the last century or so, we have found something that's called intersubjectivity. So if a lot of subjects with an individual experience talk about their experience, like we are doing about this magical, mysterious modality called dance then we're sharing from each our individual experiences but we connect we inter uh well make this intersubjective so it's not just one experience separate from another experience but in this yeah the podcast that you are hosting this becomes this uh, this creature with a lot of connections in different um, disciplines and modalities and at the same time there is this essence of sacredness or sacred dance or the mystery you know whatever words resonate for for people yes and again i think it's about connecting to that and and uh and the the i mean connecting to the sacred it's difficult to talk about it if you've never had that experience just one last note on what we were talking about. I, I listened to a talk by Rupert Sheldrake recently, and he, he has a, a new research project because, interestingly enough, always when, um, when, when people are doing research on, say, metaphysical things, there's always this kind of researcher bias and influencing the results and expecting certain outcomes. And um, mm. this research project that he's doing, what he realized mm. was that that is actually more rigorous when somebody is studying something more esoteric or metaphysical, that they put those things mm. in place and they don't put them in place when you're studying, say, how a drug works or something like that. And so what this research project is about is the fact that actually that is also inherent in just sort of standardized research, but nobody is, is, is actually checking for that. Um, so that's, that's what his research is about. So it seems like we are all involved <laughs> whether we think we're being objective or not we're actually all very subjective and very involved and we we reap what we sow in that it in that we usually come out with the the conclusions that we are looking for rather than the ones that might really be there so that was just a bit of an aside because obviously there's there's a whole new the veil is being lifted and there's a whole new a whole new area or way of looking at things that we need to take into account. So let's go back to the subject of the sacred, one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, subjects, obviously. 
Do you call what you do sacred dance or you call it conscious dance? How would you describe what you're doing? Yeah, I think more of conscious dance, um, but on I invite people to find their own language for the sacred. So if it's the sacred, the mystery, the divine, God, goddess, all the different um, saints and, and deities that we have, um, but I do include that invitation, like find your own word for the, I, maybe I, I say, speak more of the mystery than of the sacred, mm -hmm. as in like, there is so much on earth we don't know. Sure. And for me, that is, is, is sacred. It is this, this realm of the invisible of the, the archetypes of the deities and the spirits. Um, but I don't necessarily, because I work with a lot of atheists as well. So, well, there, there's, there's no such thing as God. So what is their concept of spirit? And I think you, you said about earlier, if we haven't experienced uh, our own connection with the sacred or the divine, how can we talk about it? I think pretty much everyone has had at least one experience of awe in their life. And that's the quality I allude to, that you think there is something bigger than this individual life, something I don't understand, something that is this mysterious energy or presence or web of connections in whatever terms, it, but that you tap into that other dimension. And I think that, you know, maybe it happens once in your life, maybe many times, but I do think that for most people that will ring a bell like, oh yes, that time when I was in the, the quarry at night and it was misty and, and all the world dropped away and I was just at one with the trees and the mist and the earth and the sky that I could imagine above the mist. And, you know, when the worries and the sounds of the world drop away. Or, yeah, I think every one of us had one of those experiences in our life. And I and think this some is way, part of, go ahead. It's like cultivating our antenna or our muscles, however you want to f f call it, that we enable ourselves to, to open to such experiences. You know, and if we're always doing, 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 busy, 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 always having the next thing on the agenda, 100 things on my to-do list, which I also know that <laughs> that's pays very well. <laughs> Then there is a kind of closed offness, like a blinkeredness. And then it's like the sacred or the mystery could be knocking on your door as much as it tries, but you will not hear it or not perceive it. So I think our invitation is to create spaces where we are more receptive to that, that other dimension or that other world, layer of the world. And I think that's especially important at this point in time because we're bombarded mm -hmm by information or, or appearing to be information. And I find that people don't think for themselves. They don't stop. They don't think, what, what do I think about this? And even with words like sacred, people have an idea of what they think that means. And, you know, again, you're, you're atheists, you know, that no, they don't believe in God, but they believe in something. There is something. So we've named it God. And, and a lot of times that's what people have an objection to. That's fine. But as you said, you're still having this same experience. So I think it's important to define what we mean or 
as we do with dance to allow somebody to have the experience so that they know that this is this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a deity. I'm not talking about I'm talking about an experience or a, a place of being or a state of mind or I think we've just gotten mm. locked into words and assuming that we know what words mean. And that's a great assumption that that when we use the word sacred, for example, yes, I know what that means. When I teach dance, I ask people to define spirituality. Like, what does spirituality mean to you? Because someone will say, well, I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean? What, what are you trying to say? It's going to be different for you than it is for me. And what do you mean by that? And a lot of times people don't know. They just assume that they know what these words mean. And then when you ask them, they don't really know what they mean. They just have this, this assumption. So I think that that is problematic. And as you said, you are explaining something bigger and you need to use more words than just the word sacred to really connect and people will realize that they have had that experience, but maybe they wouldn't have called it sacred dance or they would call it conscious yeah. dance or spiritual dance yeah. or, or something else. So I think, um, and that's another reason for me to do this podcast, because as I speak to different people, you uh, taking us back to where we started, you have a way of bringing this into the world and somebody else has a different way of bringing it into the world. And maybe your language is going to resonate with some people more than than Yaakov's language or or Gabriel Roth's language or, you know, someone else. And they're all doorways. They're all doorways exactly. into the sacred yeah. and find the one that works for you. Exactly. And there's so many beautiful modalities out there. Open floor as well. Um, soul motion. There's so many really heartfelt uh, sacred dance. That's maybe one of the most, um, the, the older ones that touches on movement and the sacred. Also Steiner's dance, um, uh, yes. Eurythmy. You know, yes. it's like, it's a completely different modality again. So, um, yeah, I, in some ways, it's like see what's happening in your local area and, and, and find your web. Biodanza is another way. Find what's happening and find your group of people to kind of explore this work, work and this world with. Um, yeah, and a lot of what I do, I call embodied spirituality because I also say, like, just because I love dancing doesn't mean that everyone loves to dance. You know, I have a very basic, um, we talked about definitions before, basic way of talking about what is dance for me. Dance is movement infused with consciousness. So that means that you walking the stairs or walking the dog, that that can be your dance. You don't have to be trained in a specific technique or anything. And I think that breaks down the, the hiccups a lot of people have. Like, I'm not a dancer. I never learned how to do that. Exactly. I have to feet yeah so and then we bring in this quality of the sacred into the body as as 
It's not something that we have to leave our body for to relate to, you know, do rigorous meditations, uh, transcend the body, which is beautiful as well. But I think it's two ways. It's both in and out. And when I talk about embodied spirituality, I feel I'm inviting that quality of spirit, of soul back home to our everyday life. When you're cooking, when you're making love, when you're in the queue for the supermarket, that all of that is, it's not separate from the sacred, you know, and that for me, it's been really, if you talk, talk about healing as well, that's really um, a journey to wholeness. It's like, oh, I, I'm putting out the, the garbage bag with consciousness. I am saying thank you that there is waste, that I had something to eat, that I have potato peels that now go back to Mother Earth to recycle. You know, that sense of like it becomes this whole process. And in that sense, life as a dance. I think it was Anna Halprin. You know, life, uh, she said uh, uh, dance is breath made visible. So she mm -hmm. even... Um, made it simpler to it's it's the expression of breath that that is a dance yes and I think that I agree with you that embodiment is the key in the sense that we have been taught I guess that's the Cartesian worldview to separate mm -hmm. the mind and the body and we've lived in that for so long that people have forgotten that they have a body or what that what yeah. the body is for. And honestly, for me, when I discovered sacred dance, that was my thing. I think all my life up to that point, I wanted to de deny my body. I wanted to, and and the dance that I did, what like you was uh, ballet or jazz or or something that someone was telling me what to do. And it was only when I found sacred dance and I finally experienced my body. And I remember having that thought, this is what my body is for. This, <laughs> oh, <laughs> now I get, because before that it, it was cumbersome. It was like something I had to drag around with me, you know, and I was all out there somewhere. Yeah. All these things you have to do to maintain it. And never really getting why I had it or why it was important. And I remember that moment, like till now, I remember that moment of just that is what my body is for. Okay, now I get it. And I think that's sad because I think so many people are living in that world, that disconnect. And I guess that's my thing is that I want people having had that, that epiphany i would like other people to have that epiphany to realize mm. that there is this beauty in being embodied and um and one way to find that is through dance for me i need to move otherwise i go into this state of disconnect mm. somehow so i'm mm. i'm not good at those things like meditation or even yoga where I'm in a posture, I, for some reason, if my body is not moving, I, I don't feel it. And mm. I don't know what that means. But um, I expect that there are other people on the planet that are the same way. So 
<laughs> this is why I yeah. encourage people to try dance. <laughs> exactly. But it's also like instilled in our educational system because we hear sit still, concentrate. So we exactly. hear that we can't learn when we're moving. So that's actually one of the first things I inquire my online students to do. It's like make sure that your body is as comfortable as it can, as it can be. Take your your loo breaks, um, kick off the shoes, uh, turn off the camera if you don't want to be on the visible, like visible connection, do what you need to be present in the body. And also that includes movement. And I that was one of the great things I learned from Yaakov. And it really was one of the big shifts for me. He said, even when I'm talking, you keep moving. You know, so when he would give a new instruction for the next invitation, next exercise, you know, often the whole group would stop and, and listen. And he said, no, the invitation is to keep the body in movement, to keep these receptors open and switch on your, your, your concentration or your, I don't know, your, your um, I don't know, your cognitive brain for a moment, but keep moving. And that's been radical. And ever since, it's been really hard to sit still and move because, <laughs> sorry, to sit still and concentrate because my body has now done the, done the opposite. Like I feel I concentrate much better when I'm in motion. So pivoting chair or balls, you're one of those ball chairs that you can have different postures on. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, takes a shift. So how, how would you say you can dance to or with through the sacred? How would you describe that? Let's let maybe get into your, your modality a little bit and, and, and what is it? Or how is it done? Or what's important? What are the important key things in it? Ah, that's a very broad question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like I said, movement with consciousness becomes a dance. Um, I think you basically can dance with anything. So whether it's a feeling that you have, you can dance with the feeling. Whether it's sunny or rainy, you can dance with the sun or the rain. So for me, it's more of a state of mind than an activity. So like having that invitation, let's take the example of a tree. You know, imagine a tree that you love, maybe in your garden or a park somewhere. And then you see that tree as a being that could be your dance partner. So in my world, there is an, an, a relationship that starts from the moment you approach. Say, hello, tree. My name is Elina. Would you like to dance with me? And that's where the first moment of embodied awareness starts because the tree can say no, and you will know it in your body. So that's the sense of like, how is my body perceiving signals from the external world. So there can be a sense of warmness and a sense of welcome, uh, a sense of soothing energy along the back. There can be a beautiful bird song that all of a sudden feels like an answer that the tree is responding positively. Or there can be a siren or an electric shock or a coldness or a tightness in your body. It's different for everyone. But that sense is like this, we call the spirit etiquette. So don't take for granted that the tree wants to dance with you, although most of the time it does. <laughs> so that's the first question. Approach, ask for permission. And then when you have the permission, 
there is this like you would dance with a human partner you kind of come closer and you go like oh, who is here and who how are we attuning to each other and then maybe you you can mimic the the branches or the way the leaves hang off the tree or you can feel the the tallness or the nobliness of the tree in your body and you start to relate to this creature through your body so that's sensing like you're dancing with and then next step you could take is to say, tree, would you like to dance in my body? And you can, you can either step into the being of the tree or you can invite the tree being into you. And then you'd be surprised your movements might change again. It's like now you're dancing as the tree's consciousness, the tree's awareness with the roots deep down, with the branches high up, with awareness of the seasons, the sun aeons of time that have passed since it was a sapling and you this consciousness becomes part of you you know so it's a sense of dancing with and dancing as and then at some point when you want to complete you make sure that you step out of the tree consciousness and you take back your own body you say okay i'm elena you're the tree thank you for this dance you can move again as partners and then at some point there is a moment of goodbye say thank you make a gesture of gratitude maybe in your dance you were moved to promise the tree something you know maybe you ask if you can come back next week so it's a relationship it's a relationship like a friendship with um another creature and in this way the creature can't speak but it can relate to you and with you so I think that's a simple way of starting to learn to dance with the natural world. You know, go to a tree that you love and start dancing with it and as it. So in your work with the way of the, of the wild soul, how, how do you do, is that an exercise that you would do or where do you begin? Because I know what you're talking about and, and yeah. I think that's beautiful, and, and I, I definitely will go out and try that. But I think it's intimidating to some people who, how would you lead up to that? I think it could be intimidating to some people who have never mm. had that experience of connection, maybe, or um, yes. have never really thought about all of the beings around us, such as trees or the sky yeah. or the sun or, or whatever, how is there a lead into that or what, um, where do you begin? I guess is, is what I'm asking. Yeah, I think it's what we've been talking about already. It's uh, the recognition of dance being very simple movement. Dance is consciousness. It's awareness. It's attuning. Um, and in that sense, it is like you start to pick up the phone and you, to a friend and you don't have any expectations how the conversation might go. It doesn't have to look like anything. You don't have to achieve anything. There are no goals. So in that sense, creating space for the mind to relax, just go in this, I don't know, explorative, playful state of like, wow, what's going to happen? I'm going to ask a tree to dance with me. And then while you're there, 
you might actually not be ready to actually embody the tree and do the knobbly bits and the branches, and, but just to be and to listen, to open your ears. Maybe you sway slightly like the wind is moving through and no one can really see that you're dancing. That's really fine. So one of my um, um, courses that I'm going to change this year is Dare to Dance, and it will be a year-long a movement invitation that every week you get one invitation to go and explore in your own time, in your own uh, way, in your own garden or park, whatever. Um, and in that way, I have building blocks, how we can come into the body, how we can utilize breath, how we can switch on the awareness. So in that sense, it is building your toolkit, if you like, to sensitize your body as instrument. And I think you used a very important word, which is play. I think yeah. we need to <laughs> we need to go back to that. We need to become more playful. And again, the way that we've been programmed is that we need to know everything before we actually do it. And so we're we become afraid that that's why why I asked you that question because I understand what you're talking about. And I would not hesitate to do that, but I know a lot of people would. They would say, well, I don't know how to dance with the tree, so I'll tell me how I'm supposed to do that. And I think if you get into that place of things being playful, that I'm just going to play with this. I'm just going to play exactly. with listening. I'm just going to play with what might the tree say to me or play with how I want to move my body. But I think that that's really important because a lot of people are just so structured and again it's it's the way we've been programmed in school that there that there is a structure so i think for some people it's it's a bit difficult to to break out of that and i hope that people will try your course or um some or your suggestions now because i think this is this is the place we need to get back to it, of being more creative mm -hmm. and more playful and to lower our expectations about what we need to do or what we need to accomplish in mm -hmm. any particular at any particular moment yeah. in, in what we're doing. And I think that's one of the invitations like we often treat, well, it depends on our history, but we often treat the unknown as something scary and dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people want to hang out in the unknown all the time. It's a different <laughs> uh, psychological makeup. <laughs> but for many of us, we stick with what we know, how we've done it for all, for, all, for all the time. And, you know, we know the results something brings us. But if we start to look at the unknown as an incredibly potent space of not knowing, of fertility of possibility because we've been down that same road so many times we've taken the same work, uh, road to work we said set on the same tube for so long we know where that takes us you know so what if we decide to take a different route to work what if we decide to have dessert first and the starter last what happens if we walk backwards you know very carefully so that you don't hurt yourself but Unlike I have a very quiet country lane here, you can walk backwards. How is that? It's a very different experience to see the, the world move that way than this way. 
you know. So in that sense, I am very curious to place myself in those kind of potent spaces of unknown because that's where the magic happens. That's where the discoveries happen. That's oh, flip it upside down, and you really have a different point of view. You know, so from where are you looking at something? Where are you standing? What is your height as well? Like the tree, the the view from under a chair is very different to when you're standing on the table. You know, so that's <laughs> the, the point of view, literally made physical. What yes. do we see from which vantage point? And I think this takes us back to where we started, that it's experience. Because we think, possibly, we think we know what that's going to be like. And again, our programming is, I've, I've got to think this through, but your mind is limited. Your mind is limited by your experience. So you need to expand your experiences in order to have more ideas about what it will be. And I think very often your experience is going to be something completely different to what mm. you imagined it would be, but you won't know yeah. that unless you actually try it. And I think this takes us back to the feminine because the feminine is the unknown. The yin is the yeah. in what's in the darkness, the potentiality, and it not yet manifested. So there are infinite opportunities for something to come out differently or to have a new perspective, but we need to we need to dare to to try those. So I think um, yeah, play, play with them. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's also what I try to reflect in the title of the book you mentioned in the intro, Dancing in the Muddy Temple. That that combination of mud and temple kind of often puts yes. people a bit on the kind of on, on the uh, unexpected, like temples are beautiful and pristine and clean. But for me, and so temple for me is an, oh, a metaphor for the sacred or the mystery, but that it is in the mud, that it is in the blood, in the body, in sometimes the pain, but also the ecstasy of joy and of pleasure. You know, the sense of it's not crystal, crystal clear. It's not sharp cut diamond it's not always a rainbow it can be muddy and messy and unfinished and definitely unknown and that that we can link that with our experience of the sacred and uh, to me that's what spirituality is people people want to think that oh what if i become a spiritual i'm going to rise above everything that's not my experience. <laughs> and, I, and from the name of your, your title of your book, I expect that's not your experience either. And I'd like you to tell us more about your book. But I, I think that we, um, yeah, there are those sticky, sticky places that it might all start out sweetness and light, but then you get into the depth of something and it, it becomes different. So, so tell us a bit about your book. Oh, about the book. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, like you said, the search for me to combine the different circles or modalities or disciplines that I've been touching in my life. And that includes growing up in a Protestant family where God was up on a cloud somewhere high. Well, not really on a cloud. That was my <laughs> little girl's version. We didn't talk about God the mother. We didn't talk about the sacredness of the earth. It was very abstract. It was very transcendent. 
Um, but then I, one of my favorite children's book was by Monica Furlong, Witch Child. And it is um, an apprenticeship of a young girl, I think in 8th century Scotland, to a wise woman or a witch. And she learns to work with herbs and plants and to honor the cycles and the seasons and the, and the herbs, tending the herbs to their different stages. And so for me, that was kind of an antidote to the more clinical Protestant experience of the sacred or God or religion. And, and I think the book is my way of merging and melting together those different places, also academia, also being in the mud around a stone circle or being deep in the earth in a burial cave or having your feet in the stream while I'm also still part of academia, while I'm also still part of a shamanic community, you know, it's, so for me, that's really the journey so far, um, harvesting the different wisdom gifts, I call them, from these different practices. Because I think they all, and we, you talked about gateways and portals, I think they all have a road in towards, well, sacred experience, life, growth, whatever. Um, but at the same time, taken by themselves, they can be quite monopolizing. You know, like the body is not part in, of academia. So it's very mental. Um, the mother is not part of Protestant religion. Um, maybe um, um, mental reflections and inquiry aren't so much part of shamanic practice. And for me, I think they are all really important parts of our psyche. So body heart, mind, and spirit. And I think it's like a medicine wheel. If we can move fluidly through these, or if we can develop these modalities in us, in ourselves, we become more all-round human beings. We become more uh, adaptive to different situations because sometimes we need the power of the mind. Sometimes we need the strength of the bodies. You know, so it's, that's what I, think is sometimes a bit scary if people are really going down one route and for example only focusing on energy work and then feeling the energy and touching the energy and amplifying the energy and it's great it's fantastic but there's also ground and body and clarity of mind and yeah well that's my journey yes exactly yeah yeah and i also think that once one when you work with one it strengthens the others as well you know so i think it's an invitation also where to start like if you're very strong in the mind that's a great place to start invite your mind to take a little journey into the body if you are very much physical it's like how can i actually reflect on my physical experience you're very emotional how can i bring some ground to this you know so that there is a, a an exchange between these different parts in the psyche uh, so I think I think it was Jung talking about the four functions and that usually we have, so thinking, feeling, um, I never remember all four, perception, <laughs> uh, emotions, yeah, feeling them. and emotion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. as well, well, what I understood is you're stuck with one or two modalities. You're very strong in one. But that's where I go like, nah, it's our invitation and our yeah, encouragement to to develop the others as well. Yeah. Well, you could still be stronger in one, but still develop the others. I mean, yeah, they exactly. support each yeah. other. So, 
to some, find yeah. a way to integrate them. I don't think we have to deny any part of ourselves, but just try to strengthen the other ones. Yeah. Exactly. And invite them in as well as other parts of ourselves. Yeah. Like you mm -hmm. discovered the body when you started dancing. How fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Before that, it was all up in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was my journey to Egypt, I guess. Yes. Absolutely. One other thing that I would like to just touch on before we before we wrap it up, but about the importance of sacred sites such as caves. What do you mm -hmm. feel is the important importance of these sites? It's <sighs> another big question. I think it is magical to visit places where people have tried to be in touch with the other dimensions before. And whether it's caves with cave paintings, whether it's stone circles, whether it's burial mounds, whether it's menhirs, whether it's labyrinths, whether it's churches as well, there's some incredibly beautiful and, and ener energetically really clean churches, that there is something that we step outside of time in some way. And for me, I feel a very strong connection to the Neolithic period, which is sort of the stone circle area and the, the era, sorry, and the, 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 the burial mounds. And that's, I don't know, it feels, it is so much an earth religion for me. So to actually go into such a space there is an immediate awareness of the ground, of the mother for me, of the womb sometimes, um, and also often an awareness of the cosmos because many of these sites have, have uh, alignments with solar or lunar times of mm -hmm. the year. So there is, a and I think, wow, our ancestors, they've walked this land. They have taken such meticulous care to to create these monuments or temples or, or uh, astronomical observation towers. I don't know how to say that. Yes. This meant something uh, about their connection with earth, with mystery. And for me, those are places where I feel I can really recharge. It's often away off the beaten track. There's no neon, there is no food, there is no often no chatter. You are really in, you're immersed in this quality. So I, yeah, I, I recently discovered one not too far from my home here. I live in France. And before the closest one I knew was an hour drive. So that's really like a pilgrimage you go. <laughs> I know an hour yes. is nothing. <laughs> but you have to, you know, and now I can walk and I can arrive there and I can be with the place. And it's just, it's, it's better than coffee. <laughs> it's, it's such a recharge. It's such a, like a, a plug into the universal yeah. energy socket. Yeah. And I think the ancients gave us a great gift by building monuments. Mm -hmm at a time exactly. when they were more attuned to the emanations from the earth, that they left us yeah. markers so that we can go and find yeah. these places. And, yeah. um, and again, I think that's my journey to Egypt was I just wanted to be closer to these, these beautiful mm. energy portals that, um, 
well, that were that where things were built that are just beautiful as well, but it just amplifies that energy from the earth. So yes, if you've if you've never been to sacred spaces, definitely it's worth trying to find one and to experience yeah. it because it is, as I said, it is a gift that that we have these markers that we can easily find them if we want to. Well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and it's like this way. Yeah, sorry, one more thing. I was thinking about yes. the ley lines as well. Like often these places are, these monuments are built on energetically highly yes. charged places, like the ley lines. I know there is a lot of studies, uh, even in the UK alone, that follow the different sacred sites across the, the country. Um, and to sort of go in places. And I think the seashore is another place with such high energy. Mm -hmm. It does something to you know, to recharge us from a very yeah. often busy life, busy mind. Yeah. Well, it's very cleansing. If nothing else, salt water is definitely very cleansing. So it has to be continually cleansed. It must be a place that's highly charged. Yeah. 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 yeah good point. Yeah. Well, thank yes. you. Thank you for being with us here today. So do you have any up and coming events you mentioned that you have a a course that you're going to be starting tell us a little bit about yes well first of all thank you for the time here it was really beautiful to share this time on the magic of dance yes um so at the moment most of my work happens online um uh the, the thing that runs every week are my Qi classes, my Qigong classes. And there are different classes every week where we really work with the life force and the natural world. Um, so that's the, the Qi studio membership. You can find that on my website. And you spell it uh, www.e-l-i-n-e-k-i-e-f for Freddy, T for Tango, dot com. Um, and when you navigate to the Qigong uh, uh, menu, then you'll find the membership there. That's the weekly immersion with quality time for the body, the heart and the mind. Now, I have a live workshop coming up at the end of August in France, which is a week summer school dancing Gaia. And uh, there is already a little registration button on the website as well. Um, there we will be dancing with the tree, with the lakes, with the, the, the clouds and the sun, and really look at archetype of Gaia as the Earth Mother, as a, as a self, um, as an entity that can self-harmonize. So how can she teach us, teach us about harmonizing our own body and our relationship with her in terms of ecology and sustainability. Um, then the course that we spoke about, I haven't decided on the title, but I, I think it's going to launch in March and it will be a year in dancing. So that will be, you'll be receiving uh, in your inbox every week an invitation for a new movement exploration. And I think those three are the, th the th three things that resonate most with what we spoke about. I do have some work uh, for women with early pregnancy loss as well. That's another type yes, of healing. Yes, we did, we did that. No, we did Yeah, and you can sign up for my newsletter. So I send a, a weekly uh, yes. wild Yes, I highly news. recommend that you sign up for Elena's uh, newsletter because there is a lot of content there, a lot of nice things that you can 
you can do on your own. So yes, go to her website and, and sign up. For Thank that. you. Yeah. And it's lovely to make new connections to connect from the heart and the body. So uh, thanks again for your time and your expertise also for this podcast. And let's just go through a few other ways to connect with yeah. Elena. If, uh, if you are on YouTube, she has a YouTube channel. And again, it's her name. So it's yes, E-L-I-N-E-K-I-E-F-T. Uh, right. Also Facebook. You have two yeah. Facebook pages. Again, the first, the first one, one is her name. Yes. And the other one is the way of the wild soul. No spaces. And then on Instagram, that one has yeah, spaces. That is really, at the way of, of the at wild soul that's really with spaces. With <laughs> underscores. This, the Instagram yes. is really the platform I use the most. So okay. Instagram has weekly different uh, different materials, which are uh, feeding into Facebook, but I don't really use Facebook that actively. So Instagram is at wild underscore soul underscore way. So I'd love you to find me there and um, yeah, connect with you and, and your work wherever you are as well, whoever is listening. And Twitter it's also your name. So those are the ways to find her. And, uh, at LinkedIn, Dr. Elena Kieft. So you have many ways to connect with Elena. That's right. So, uh, you can choose your, your, whatever works for you. <laughs> and again, thank you. you. Yes. Thank you for being here with us today. And, um, maybe, Maybe you can join us again and we can go into other topics that we didn't get to this time. Yes, that would be lovely. It's a lot to move with and speak about, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you too. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you will connect with Elena. And as I said, go to her website, get on her newsletter, because um, there is a lot of content. So uh, she has a lot to offer you. And for those who are interested in sacred dance, we have a community on Facebook at Universal Dancer Community. And um, it's a place to connect with other people who are doing sacred dance, or if you don't know anything about sacred dance, join us there. It's a, it's a good place to learn more about it and to connect with other people who are, who are doing it. And also, I have an online course, a very foundational course, uh, Dance as a Spiritual Practice, and you can find that on my website, my school website, which is universaldancer.thinkific.com. Well, thank you for being here with us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I hope you'll join us again next month. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>